May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Oh, to have been there in Jerusalem on that Pentecost day, 50 days after the resurrection. The followers of Jesus are all gathered together in one place, as was their custom. And suddenly there was the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and tongues of fire appeared and rested on them. And then they are pushed by the power of the Holy Spirit out of that room, out of the house where they were, out into the streets, speaking a wide variety of languages, so that people from all over the world could hear the proclamation of the goodness and love of God in their own tongue. I often like to imagine what Pentecost was like for those who were gathered in Jerusalem who were not particularly devout. What is that moment like when you suddenly hear the goodness of God being told in your own native language if you're not particularly faithful? What a gift! To stand in that place and be overwhelmed by God's word. To hear that God's mighty acts and his enduring faithfulness have reached their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And now that the proclamation of that good news is going to go out to the entire world. Beyond the limited knowledge of even that group of international visitors to the ends of the earth. The little church gathered together on that morning, too early even for wine, as Peter notes for the skeptics, would need the help of the Spirit. The coming of the Spirit marks the beginning of a shakeup that actually has never really ended. From Pentecost onwards, the life of the church is one of translation and transition, of change and progress. And no matter what the disciples might have feared, This movement outward from Jerusalem to the whole world was endorsed and empowered by God. God knows that the church will need to be conversant with every culture, comfortable in every circumstance, and always on the move. So the Holy Spirit comes in the rushing wind and the tongues of fire. But when the wind dies down and the fire burns a little lower, the Spirit remains. The Spirit tabernacles with God's church, making a home with the followers of Jesus as they seek to go out from Jerusalem into the world, proclaiming the good news of the gospel. The church, of course, was called then as it is now to follow the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And also to fulfill the great commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But that turns out to be impossible without God's direct intervention. We mean really well. We want to do what God asks us to. We want to follow and obey, but we need some help. When left on our own, we get scared or distracted, and the work just kind of doesn't ever get done. The Spirit is the helper that we need to make it possible to overcome even our best, most well-grounded fears. The barriers may seem daunting, but they are not insurmountable. And we see that clearly on Pentecost. 
in this miracle of speech and hearing that happens when the Spirit shows up. Now, this is a gift that we have to be willing to receive. It can't be imposed on us. But it is the gift of a new tongue that we all can share. And this new language that the church is given when filled by the Holy Spirit is joy. Joy is the language that the church speaks. And that joy, as the apostles discovered, is universal. It's not the possession of just one culture or one group of people. It can cross boundaries of nationality and race and gender. And just like the love of God, joy is best when it's shared. Not bottled up, but passed along to those around us. That's why we throw parties when we have something to celebrate. Joy is magnified when shared with others. It's hard to keep to ourselves. And joy is the mother tongue of the followers of Jesus. We see this actually all over the New Testament. Jesus himself came into the world proclaiming that he had come to bring joy. He tells the disciples of God's great love for them so that their joy may be complete. His first miracle at the wedding at Cana, turning water into wine, seems only to have been aimed at avoiding shame and promoting joy for the bride and groom. Those of you who have been to a wedding know when there's more wine, there just seems to be more joy. Joy permeates all that Jesus said and did from the very beginning of his ministry. In Paul's epistles, joy is, of course, quite famously, one of the fruits of the Spirit. In Acts 15, verse 22, it says, The apostles were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The two always come together. Paul tells the Romans, The kingdom of God is justice and peace and joy from the Holy Spirit. And he prays that they may be filled with all joy and hope in believing. Joy is the thing that binds us together as believers in Christ. Not the right creed or the right sacraments or the right Bible translation, but joy that comes from knowing Jesus Christ and God the Father, and that is facilitated by the Spirit. This is the common language all Christians share, whether we are Chinese or Mexican or Brazilian or Iraqi, Anglicans or Pentecostals or Baptists. The Holy Spirit makes joy the mother tongue of the followers of Jesus. It's the thing that we're meant to share with one another, the sign that we're walking and living by the Spirit, is that we have joy that comes from being relieved of the burden of our sins, but also being empowered to live in newness of life in the world. What a refreshing and hopeful thing this is. Because if for some reason we forget the Spirit comes along to remind us to be joyful. The Spirit pokes and prods us when necessary so that we recall what God has done and how blessed we actually are. That's the work the Spirit is doing on a daily basis. When we pray, when we worship, when we find ourselves struck dumb by the sudden beauty of the world or the gratitude we feel for the life that we have been given, that is the Holy Spirit at work in us. St. Augustine said it like this, when you see love, you always see a trinity. There are always three in any loving relationship. There is the lover, the beloved, and the love that they share. 
That means that the joyful Holy Spirit is the glue binding every loving relationship together, whether we recognize it or not. It's the thing that holds the universe together. Far from being the least important member of the Trinitarian party, the one that we have to work to remember, we always sort of get father and son and then the spirit, uh, the father and the son and then their little buddy who we're a little confused about. The Holy Spirit is always present, like a metronome ticking along in the background of the universe, keeping everything in tempo and working together as it should. So the Spirit brings joy and love, and that joy and love should animate all of our life in Christ. It should be, as the old song goes, easy to know that we are Christians by our love, but also by our joy. Which is why it can be so discouraging that joy sometimes feels so dang hard to keep up. I think this might be a particularly Northwestern characteristic, but it's a problem all over. All this talk about joy as a concept doesn't change the fact that honestly, sometimes I just don't feel that joyful. And I've met some of you, and I know you don't either. (laughs) It seems occasionally, now this may not apply to you, this might be to somebody else you know, but just grant me the premise. Occasionally, in our culture, which glorifies productivity and hard work and efficiency over so many other things, we celebrate a kind of joyless devotion to duty or family or work or even sometimes church. And we celebrate this as a kind of serious and sober-minded thing, an elevation of our responsibilities over everything else. Joy is something that we set aside for later or for those who are privileged enough to have the luxury of considering whether or not something will bring them happiness, while the rest of us get down to the business of getting things done and taken care of. But God did not make us only to work and to be diligent in our commitments, but also to delight, to find rest and relaxation, and take pleasure in the creation that he built in order to share it with us. Where do you find that kind of delight? That pause that allows you to consider the beauty and the wonder of what God has made. Wherever and whenever you find that time and space, the Holy Spirit is there, recognized or not, filling up those quiet moments with God's own joy. Now, what I'm not saying is that you should try to go out and meet God only by yourself doing whatever makes you happiest. Because worship is something that we have to do together. It's our corporate opportunity to praise God. But we also need to seek the presence of the Holy Spirit on days that aren't Sunday, on days that aren't just Pentecost. Sometimes, uh, and in this, your preacher this morning is the chief of sinners, so really I'm talking to myself. We get so weighed down by responsibilities and burdens and the day-to-day grind of our lives that we forget to be joyful. We set it down somewhere and mean to come pick it up later and just don't ever get around to it. And then we wonder when the last time we actually felt any joy at all was. We think that joy is kind of a silly thing that other people waste time on when there's business to be taken care of and that there'll be time for celebration once everything else is done. 
that we will not be guilty of spiking the football before we're sure we've crossed the goal line, as it were. So when I was a youth minister in college, this was made very clear to me. Uh, In the great state of Florida, I was one of the only people working full-time with teenagers in our little diocese there, which had the effect of making me a much worse student than I was even inclined to be, which was really quite an accomplishment, all things considered. And one of the jobs that I was given was I had to design programs for our youth group. And so we built a weekend retreat for high school students from around our diocese. And as one of those full-time guys, I was responsible for a lot of the planning, which was impressive because I was only about three years out of high school myself, which is why I grew this handy beard uh, as soon as possible. And the work was really absorbing and compelling. It felt important and good to the point of exhaustion. I was so well-versed in schedules and details and reservations and outlines that by the time the weekend itself came around, my tank was pretty much completely empty. Now, of course, everything went off without a hitch, but only because I sort of threw myself in front of the train. Everybody had a great time except for me. And the work of the Holy Spirit was evident in the lives of everybody else who was impacted by the work that we did. But at the end of it, I was exhausted. And there was no joy. There was satisfaction, to be sure, but mostly there was relief. I think parents, you probably know this pretty well. After lots of hard work, sometimes the payoff is just, whew, we made it. But there was not much in the way of the life-giving joy that's found in knowing and being known by Jesus. So if it's possible to throw yourself so completely into the work of serving others, even for the sake of the Lord, but losing the joy that is our mother tongue, which scripture says is one of the fruits of the Spirit, what are we supposed to do? How do we hold on to the joy that comes from knowing Jesus? instead of forgetting our first love. I want to suggest to you this morning that joy is always found in being where Christ is calling the disciples to be on Pentecost, where the gift of the Holy Spirit is compelling them to go out on the frontiers of service and mission in new places with new people, letting the wind push us forward and the flame light the way. Now, that sounds a little bit abstract, which some of us actually prefer. Abstraction lets us hear God's word or the words of God's ministers and hold them at a comfortable distance for our consideration. Allow me this Pentecost instead to get a little bit closer and light a fire under each of us. We talk an awful lot about mission as if it is always something happening someplace else, done by other people, funded in part by our donations, but largely not part of our lives as everyday Christians. But on Pentecost, we're reminded that the Holy Spirit came not to just give us this new language of joy, but to send the church out into the world on mission with a testimony to share about what Jesus has done for them. And that means us, not just you and I as a collective body, but as individuals. So in just a little while, we're going to renew our baptismal vows. And in that renewal, we are reminded 
that we all have been commissioned as ministers of Jesus and called to the mission field that is all around us. The Spirit rests on us in and through our baptism. And that means that just like the original apostles and those that we might think of professionally as missionaries, there is work that you and I are called to do to share the gospel with those around us And that work is not going to be done for us by anybody else. We may feel unprepared or underqualified. But as those who have been baptized and called by name by Jesus, we each have our own mission to fulfill, a charge to keep. We need to discover again for ourselves that following Christ is blessedly much less about being able to rattle off the Ten Commandments or name every book of the Bible in sequential order without a song, or list off all 12 disciples off the top of your head. Following Jesus is about being where he is calling you to go, with the people who are being called to embrace new life in his kingdom, and those people happen conveniently to be everywhere around us. And in those relationships, we're called to share our lives, just the way that they are. Not your perfect three-minute testimony about Jesus and everything he did for you, but the basics of who God is in your life every day and what it means. And you and I can start to do that now. You need no qualifications. You need no fancy outfit. It could happen in your home starting today. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are being sent out on mission. In the next few months, you're going to hear a lot more about opportunities to serve here at St. Charles to be on mission with Christ. Chances to let the Holy Spirit work through your hands and feet and possibly even your mouth to show the love of Christ and the joy that comes from knowing and being known by him to those who are outside the walls of this church. I pray that you will embrace those opportunities Because the wind and the fire are still with us. The Holy Spirit is still pushing us forward. The language of joy is spoken here. Amen.